Good morning. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Let us rejoice and be glad. Since this is also Mother's Day, we trust you are honoring the women in your family today also. This the fifth Sunday of Easter, May 10th, year of our Lord, 2020, we gather together as the covenant community in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our call to worship today is taken from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 through 10. Like newborn infants, long for the spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. With that, we gather our hearts and minds together in today's calling. Almighty God, whom truly to know is everlasting life, grant us so perfectly to know your Son, Jesus Christ, to be the way, the truth, and the life, that we may steadfastly follow his steps in the way that leads to eternal life, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Well, we have once again been looking at Jesus' teaching on the Holy Spirit in the 16th chapter of St. John's Gospel. And you may remember that I said that this is the longest extended teaching by Jesus about the Holy Spirit, the Helper, in all of the four Gospels. 
So once again, let's uh, look at this passage, John chapter 16, verses 7 through 11. The Gospel of our Lord according to St. John. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. Title of today's message is once again, as it was last week, let me tell you about my condemner. So this is uh, part two, we've talked about the Holy Spirit uh, on, under the title of Let Me Tell You About My Convincer for two weeks. And then for two weeks, we uh, took a look at the role of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you about my convictor. And then this is the second week where we're taking a look at the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, Jesus is saying, let me tell you about my condemner. So we've been focused on one word in this text, largely focused on one word of this text found in verse 8 of chapter 16 of John's gospel, and that is the word convict. And I don't think I have taken too many liberties uh, with the text, with this particular word, uh, when I proffered a judicial setting of a courtroom with the Holy Spirit being the prosecutor. Uh, the original word in the Greek, elenktiai, is translated as reprove in the King James Version. Now, reproof is the work of censor with the intent to correct. Some people may quarrel with connecting the work, work of the Holy Spirit with condemnation. But in my defense, it should be noted that we have been speaking about the Holy Spirit's work in the unbelieving world. In the next few weeks, Lord willing, we will consider the Holy Spirit's work in the church. Uh, Frederick Dale Bruner says that in regard to this, the paraclete will lead the church aright, firstly by means of the whole truth, that's in verse 13 of chapter 16. Secondly, the paraclete will lead the church aright into what is coming up, that's in the balance of verse 13 of chapter 16. And, 13, and thirdly, the paraclete will lead the church aright and all for Jesus' glory in verses 14 
and 15 of chapter 16. So obviously, the Holy Spirit's functioning, the way the Holy Spirit works in the unbelieving world, is worlds apart from his function in the believing church. Now, some might uh, still uh, protest and say that the Holy Spirit's work is one of conviction and not of condemnation. And you may have heard the common saying that the Holy Spirit convicts, but Satan condemns. Uh, Typically, that is the process that is at work in the believer's life. So Romans uh, 8, chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is true that every person who is in Christ will never come under the sentence of condemnation because of Christ's work. But that is not true about the persistent, stubborn, hard-hearted unbeliever. This third indictment that Satan has been judged means that a hardened heart will only lead a person to ultimate condemnation because they stand with Satan and the world system in opposition to Jesus. Paul speaks of the condemnation of the devil in 1 Timothy 3.6. In other words, this is what I believe, only being on Jesus' team, if we could put it that way, will deliver a person from the just sentence of condemnation. Jesus said in John 3.18, whoever believes in him, speaking about himself as the Son of God, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. When Paul uh, contrasts the work and consequences of the first man, Adam, in the Garden of Eden, with the second man, Adam, uh, Jesus Christ, in Romans chapter 5, he says in verse 16, For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Uh, So let me emphasize uh, this again. If you are in Christ, justified by faith, you can never be hauled into court again. But if you are unregenerate, if you refuse to accept Christ as your advocate, you are condemned already. All that is left is a hearing to determine your punishment. Last Sunday, when we left every man in the judicial dock, the father had gaveled the cosmic court back into session. The Holy Spirit, the prosecutor, 
acting powerfully in his role as convincer and convictor had done his best to persuade every man that he needed to legally bind his defense to the advocate, Jesus Christ. The prosecutor had warned every man, if he persisted in his unbelief, worse than that, if he hired Shady Slewfoot to represent him, the father's judgment would be severe. So now the advocate Jesus Christ once again takes a seat by the accused. He turns to him and puts his arm around the man and whispers in his ear, so what will it be, me or Shady Slewfoot? Every man puts his face in uh, both of his hands and the tears start to roll and he cries out, oh I don't know. God help me. And with that, the judge clears his throat. This brings the attention of every person in the courtroom to the bench. Jesus rises from his chair and speaks, Your honor, if it pleases the court, I just need a few more minutes with every man before we proceed. At that, the judge's face brightens and looking at no one in particular declares, well, I've never been able to refuse a request from my son. With a smile, the father relaxes in his chair, pushes back from the bench and rolls his hand in a go-ahead, get-on-with-it motion. Uh, You can see that the officers of the court are relieved. Just before the father nods off to sleep, he says, do your best, son. And with that encouragement, the advocate begins a long discourse concerning Shady Slewfoot. It was obvious to the advocate that every man was susceptible to Shady's deception. Now was the time to strike with the truth because every man's life was at stake. Jesus began by pointing out the vast differences that existed between a defense mounted by Shady and a defense mounted by him. He began with this statement, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Well, that got every man's attention. He had sensed a growing darkness that had day by day encroached upon his life. Immediately, Jesus sensed a new openness in the man's spirit. He pressed his argument further, explaining to him that he was from above, not of this world, but that Shady was from below, of this world. Shady would only offer slavery through his falsehood and lies, but that the son could forge 
a path of truth that would lead to true liberty. Suddenly, as if out of nowhere, every man was handed a brief by a court clerk. It was sent by Shady. He insisted in the brief that he was a much better choice than the son. In the file were accusations from long ago that Jesus had actually suffered a kind of mental breakdown. And the file supposedly substantiated the facts. Even worse, Jesus was found out to be an operative from the dark side, feigning to be an angel of light. In the margins, Shady had quickly scribbled some scripture references. The first was John 7.1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Shady had a footnote that read, Jesus accused of a capital crime punishable by death. Every man looked up from the folder and gazed wonderingly into Jesus' face and thought to himself, might it be true that he is a deceiver? Every man looked in the margins again and saw another scripture reference, John 7, 20. You have a demon. Another footnote at the bottom of the page read, this man has a long history of dark deception. Jesus had been subjected to this devilish tactic before. Uh, He could read every man like the proverbial book because he knew what was in man. He sighed and said, is that from Shady? Is he telling you that I'm from the dark side? The truth is, I have argued this case before. Let's you and I have a little Bible study. Look at John 8.37. Read it for me. Every man found the verse and read, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Then the son asked him to find another verse, John 8, 40. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Every man's hands began to shake. Who was the real deceiver? He needed help. The prosecutor, who had been in earshot of this conversation, came over and placed his hand on his shoulder. Jesus said, just a a couple more verses, every man. Read John 8, 58 through 59. Every man found the verses and placed his index finger on them so that he could read them more easily. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, 
I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. When every man voiced the words, I am, the judge stirred in his seat and the building shook. Notwithstanding, Jesus insisted that every man should finish the passage, so they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. You see, Jesus said, Shady and I have been going around and round like this for years. He hates me, and he's tried to kill me over and over again. But I showed up at just the right time to defeat his plans and destroy him. I have petitioned the judge to give people just like you, every man, the discernment, the wisdom, and the power to resist him. If you accept my advocacy, my promise to you is he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. More than that, Jesus continued, I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. I've asked the judge in a previous filing to keep you from the evil one. I know this is a trying time and you don't know which way to turn, but don't be disheartened. I have overcome the world. Every man was in shock, almost catatonic. He dropped to his knees. He didn't care who was watching. He didn't care what people might say. He started to pray, but then he couldn't find the words. And then he felt both hands of the prosecutor on his shoulders. Suddenly, forcefully, the peace that he had been searching for all his life came rushing into his being with a relentless might. He was carried away to another time and place, fast-forwarded into eternity, how he knew not. Below him, he could see a vast cosmic courtroom. All the people who had ever lived were gathered in the antechamber. And in the midst was a great throne, and he heard a song being sung, an old song, but it was new to him. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Then he heard every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them say to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and glory and might forever and ever. Then he saw heaven opened and saw a rider on a white horse. It was Jesus, this man who offered to defend him for free. And then he knew what his choice would be. Every man opened his eyes and looked up into the face of Jesus, his advocate. He 
felt the prosecutor's hands lift off his shoulders ever so gently. The courtroom was absolutely dead silent. As he rose to his feet, everyone in the court gasped. And then it happened. He fell into the arms of his Savior sobbing, Do you think there is any hope for me? And with that, everyone joined every man on their feet and a great cheer erupted from their mouths. People even stood on their chairs and high-fived each other. Every man and his advocate turned to face the bench and the father delivered the verdict. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The court was now officially out of control. Every man looked around in dismay and noticed the chief of police politely applauding. And almost out of every man's sight, he caught a glimpse of Shady Slewfoot slipping out the side entrance. Every man turned back to face the bench just in time to see the judge headed over to his defendant's table. The judge embraced his son and the prosecutor couldn't help but join in. And then it happened. A choir that had never sung before began to sing. And the triune life, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit began to dance. Round and round they went, a regular whirling dervish. They spun so quickly and with such energy and light that it became impossible to distinguish the three amongst the one glory. Joy filled the cosmic court, the antechamber, joy spilled out onto the street and saturated every nook and cranny of God's creation and beyond. The choir sang a new song, this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and the celebration went on forever. Amen. Thank you, Father, that indeed you have invited us to this great celebration, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I pray even now that the Holy Spirit, the convincer, the convictor, the condemner would work in the hearts of people who are even now listening and that their hearts would be softened and that they would invite you in to make Jesus real in their lives. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.